All right, welcome back to BS. Yes, welcome. We did, we did it. We are now on the second episode. Uh, we have a great uh, interview with Greg Tapo coming up. But just a reminder before we get started with uh, today's uh, stories that we have, and we have some cool ones that are coming up, including some big news out of Norway uh, from Tobias's homeland. We uh, You can find us on iTunes now, Google Play, and Spotify. So we should all be searchable in those databases. But just a reminder, if you go to goodgamepod.com, and under the Find Us page, you can find links to all of those, as well as you can always listen to us directly on the goodgamepodcast.cast.rocks, which is that direct one that, which is, you know, we usually tweet out on the Facebook page or, or on Twitter. So um, many different places you can find us. And if you are having trouble finding us, just, you know, uh, tweet at us, email us, um, and we'll be sure to help you get set up. But hopefully everyone's figured it out by now. Yeah, you have to now try really, really hard not to find us. Yeah, that's the idea. We want mm-hmm. to make it easy. All the teachers out there, we know, you know, you got to make it easy for the students. Otherwise, they don't find it. So yeah. try to follow our own advice. Mm. Um, so, Tobias, tell us about this news out of Norway. Apparently, I mean, I've, I mean, my own bias is coming clear here. I've come <laughs> to see Norway and the other northern European countries as always very th- forward thinking and this is just another example of of some of that forward thinking so what's going on over there yes i can uh, i'm happy to tell you that everything you heard about the nordic countries is true no. <laughs> but uh, no there's it's uh, i think it's it's uh, took me not by surprise but uh, i was at the same time i quite ple- very pleasantly surprised by uh, not only the news itself but how it was unveiled and what it contained so um Today at uh, the public library in Bergen, which is uh, where I live, the Norwegian government and the, uh, the Norwegian Minister of Culture, Trine Scheigrande, she uh, presented the Norwegian government's new uh, video game strategy, it's hmm. basically called. So um, this is uh, like, uh, I'll just read you the first paragraph of what is actually an over 40 page long document complete with illustrations and screenshots from Norwegian, Norwegian video games. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a really like document that it's, it's, it's actually quite uh, nice to look at. So yeah, and I, I assume you, you translated this out of the Norwegian. It's still, yes. Okay, so, so it's, it's this... not available in English yet, but maybe at some point. I mean, I don't know if Norway makes a habit of that, but you, know. uh, you can always copy and paste into Google Translate. But uh, it's at as, the same as time the student, as the students like to do. <laughs> yes, but at the same time, I, you, this is at least for me. This goes on just into a discourse that uh, both you and I, John, and many others are very familiar with. So I'll okay, just cool. read you. Yeah, I'll just I'll just read you the first paragraph. I'll translate it, obviously, but yeah. So it says, With this strategy, the government aims to lift computer games as an independent cultural expression, art form, industry, and leisure activity. Though video games uh, and I, though video games are a, still a relatively young form of cultural expression, it is still an independent and important part of Norwegian cultural life. Culture is all about depicting and interpreting the age and society we are living in, cultivating cultural phenomena, historical events, and social conflicts in a way that engages, challenges, entertains, and excites. Video games are a natural and essential part of contemporary culture. It is important to take responsibility for the further development of a cultural expression with great prevalence and influence. Wow. Okay, so before we get into what that means, I mean, for that to come out, of an official government body is 
is pretty awesome. Like that's, yeah, I think so. Like that's, <laughs> I, I mean, it's just another thing I'm jealous about when it comes to you know you, you guys just just the the forward thinking. Like I said before, that's that's incredible mm. for that to be an official statement. And it's 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 a it's a document that could easily had been written in a very like aloof and distant and not really caring sort of way. Mm-hmm. But I've skimmed through the document a couple of times today, and it's at least my impression is that the people who wrote this genuinely care i mean they're being sincere and sincere and authentic in what they what they write and what they mean cool so why don't you get into a little bit more of the brass text so like what does this mean for for the the the, the efforts coming out of norway well like so what's going to change or, or yeah. not change yeah so this this um this uh strategy is very like um what you say? All encompassing and very uh all, encom- uh, all encompassing yeah yes th- thank you um and very like it's, there's there are many facets to this that I will be very interesting to see if what I, how, how things develop. So some key points is that the Minister of Culture today was crystal clear that the game, games should be recognized as a distinct form of art and culture. They, they are planning a pilot program for games to be included as, as a cultural expression. It's in what's directly to translated into the, what's something what's called, that's called the Cultural School Bank, which which is a government initiative uh, hmm. tasked with making art and culture and theater and so on more available to schools and school and students. So are they going um, to be talking to you and Alex pretty soon? Because it seems like they should be. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we 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 we've already uh, engaged in uh, like uh, discussions and and, and uh, exchanges with them. So oh, that's awesome. I think so. I hope so. Um, so this, I don't know what this means yet, but I imagine that it would mean like inviting Norwegian game developers to to schools to have them talk to students and other things probably and making oh and also making games. There's also talk of uh, making games more easily downloadable and available through um, some kind of uh, subscription or, or other solution that would uh, remove a lot of the hassle of the logistical part of introducing video games in, in the classroom. Oh, okay. Yeah. If you guys could break some ground there, that would be awesome. I hope so. Yeah. That's, that's definitely, I mean, this will come up on, on future episodes, I'm sure, but mm. there are, there is times both economic, but also just technical kind of logistics that sometimes mm. we have to, we have to overcome. The, 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 there is already a framework for making like uh, videos and uh, movies and other things available to students in a, like a legal way and an easy way. So it would be cool to see what they can do about that. Um, there's also aims to work towards uh, the project or the um, strategy. Also, uh, attempt will attempt to work towards work towards and encourage a more more inclusivity and diversity and less toxicity within the field of video games, like in all aspects, I guess. Yeah, so it, does it, I guess that's going to be like on the development side, but also on just the consumer side. Yes. Cool. That's uh, always, that's, that's always my important. understanding. And yeah, I think so. Definitely something that needs to be addressed, as as um, some of our listeners probably know from, from mm. recent news stories. And they also talk about uh, video games in education, and they also talk about um, how video games, oh, Norwegian game makers and game developers seeking financial support for the Norwegian Film Institute uh, should ensure that the games are universally designed, which I interpret as having English speech or something, or make, like being available to other people, that, uh, people, to people who don't speak Norwegian, but also subtitled in Norwegian. Yeah, that's uh, that's cool. I mean, it definitely sounds like they are hopefully going to be making some some overtures to you know teachers like you and 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 Alex and other people that are 
at the tip of the spear, so to speak. So that's, I mean, again, it's awesome that a government is kind of, you know, being so open and and positive about where this needs to go and also saying, okay, this is good right now, but it needs to get better, which is yes. incredible. I mean, and, and I mean, there are politicians who are gamers uh, and, all, and all kinds of stuff. I mean, I mean, the cultural Norwegian cultural minister even introduced, opens the whole documents with like, writing about her relationship with games um and i mean there's this there's a sin- level of sincerity to this that just warms my heart i guess yeah no i mean i'm like i said i'm jealous that's that's fantastic <laughs> um so hopefully this kind of starts a chain reaction as we begin to see just more embracing of it at the government level at the school level you know everywhere so that's um that's great yeah and there's before we move on. That just I think there's a I have a, have actually some really high hopes for that because it seems both sincere and done like um at the, in a correct way in in a in a way that other governments could look at and go like well this actually makes sense. I mean it it's not being hyperbolic and it's not being like uh losing touch with like like losing losing their grounding on everything anything. It's yeah. And they they and they touch about so many different factors and 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 this and and areas and facets of of video games that, that yeah yeah but speaking about video games being used in Norwegian classes that we have some good news yes on on the on the on the front of 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 one of the more um, well loved but also controversial uh, uh, game companies Telltale Games which made uh, the Walking Dead uh, games that were discussed in our last episode that uh, Tobias has used to study ethics and morals and others. And um, that game uh, company went defunct about a year ago um, through some very controversial, essentially long story short, for those who are not familiar with the saga, uh, just really bad mismanagement. Just yeah. the head of the company despite having all these amazing writers and artists and, and creating these games that were loved by, by just about everybody, it just blew up and left, you know, dozens if not hundreds of the developers essentially stranded. Um, yeah. And not to mention also the, you know, the, the, the audience who was waiting for a lot of future titles to come out that they were really excited about just gone, just, just blew up. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that is still not resolved. There apparently is, is still some class action lawsuits and whatnot. And the good news, though, is that that company, at least the licenses, is being uh, revived, so to speak. That um, a company by, by the name of LCG has uh, bought many of the licenses and they are in progress of trying to revive it. Uh, more specifically, um, The Wolf Among Us, which was my favorite one, uh, and Batman, they have been confirmed. Some of their other games like Borderlands and Game of Thrones uh, and a few others are unconfirmed. Walking Dead is already in progress of being redone by another company, so it's a bit mm. of a mi- mixed bag. So yeah. the good news, the hope of this is that, great, more of those games are, are going to be revived. Now, not many of them are the same people, but... It's be- it's better than just being dead and stranded, which was yeah. its its state as of you know a couple weeks ago. I just hope they get the correct people in the correct positions. 
Yeah, it yeah. seems that, that there are so many of the, the the former developers have moved on to other projects, but some of them have have come back in and, and have been embraced by the company and hired by the company. Uh, one of them, um, an art director by the name of Brett Rogstad, uh, I might be saying that wrong. Um, he, he, he's quoted in an article from Polygon that we'll link in the show notes saying it would be cool to see LCG, the company that, that, um, bought up the brand, take on Telltale's legacy and evolve it to the direction it needed to go. Right now I get the feeling creative wheels are turning and ideas are being explored. I'm cautiously optimistic. I think there's a lot of pressure and expectations in taking over not just the games, but also the Telltale brand. Telltale is a well-known name, end quote. So, yeah, I mean, that, that kind of hmm. sums up my approach to it, too. I'm cautiously optimistic, yeah. and I hope, I, hope, I hope they don't mess it up, is basically... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I owe so much of my uh, career in video games and education to Telltale and to The Walking Dead in particular, because if it hadn't been for that, my like 15 minutes of fame with The Walking Dead and Ethics, I don't think I would be where I am today. So, I mean, y- y- you can talk all like you can praise like the t- teachers, or, like or the, t- the teacher all you want, but the teacher also needs good tools. Exactly. You know, mm-hmm. if it, if it wasn't for Games like Her Story uh, by Sam Barlow um, and, um, you know, I haven't used The Walking Dead, but Gone Home that Paul mm. talked about uh, last episode where they worked with Alex. Yeah, it, it, it's the same way literature teachers need good authors to write excellent poetry <laughs> and novels. Yeah, we still need great games and Telltale was one of the best ones. Yeah, I mean, and there's... And there's not that many of that. Like they made a type of game that I don't see many other companies doing, or not at least not as successfully as they have. The only thing I can think about is, um, oh, help me out, John. You know um, what I'm talking about? Like narrative choices? No, that's kind of style of of uh, game. Um, oh, you the, mean the like high school of... girl? The high school. Oh yeah, girl with uh, magic, with the Life is Strange. Yes, that's the one. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, you're right. That does seem the only one that's kind of taken like the kind of choose your own adventure, straight narrative mm. um, thing. The other thing that made Telltale uh, unique was is they they focused explicitly on existing brands. Yes. So you know, Walking Dead, Game of Thrones, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Batman. You know, these were all existing properties that they wanted to explore the stories in cool different ways, which uh, definitely helped. Yeah, and it's 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 a cool way. I think it's a cool way of how to mix uh, different media and different different uh, platforms within like the same fictional universe or around the same fictional universe. And can I also just add before we uh, before I forget that I think I've told you this before that I'm planning. I have to write the article about how Telltale actually accidentally made an educational game with The Walking Dead season three. Oh yeah, uh, because I don't. I hope they know they are aware of, of how clever crowdplay is. For those for the listeners who don't know, um, they introduced. I think it was in the like the first Batman game they made. They introduced what they call crowdplay, which is was meant for streamers um, yeah. Yeah, playing yeah, yeah. the game and and having their audience basically log on to this online server a service mm-hmm. that where you can directly affect the choices that were made in the game. But that's such a perfect way to engage more all the students in the like directly in the decisions in the game, but also in the dialogue options that are made through the game with like with like no middle 
like middleman or anything. Yeah, it's actually it's a mechanism that I'm trying right now to see if I can kind of hack my own system to use for uh 1979 revolution black friday the the iranian yeah. revolution game which is actually speaking of of this this model is exactly a very telltale style yes. game um uh, done on, on a completely separate project and obviously historical fiction more mm. genre but i'm actually trying to find a way to do that same method of involving the whole audience and making the decisions um mm. and yeah you're right it is it is a fantastic mechanism for classroom use yeah it's so clever i do i, I wish I hope to see that be like be more common in the future. Yeah, um, I hope so, and hopefully this being revived, um, yeah. you know, not only directly but indirectly, gets more of that out there because it is a fant- It is yeah. one of the best, you know, outfits and catalogs of of getting it out there. And another uh, immediate effect this might be great is that some of those games, as they snap up the licenses, will get them back into the digital marketplaces because i remember a couple months ago snapping up a bunch of the telltale games that i hadn't played yet Mm. because they were beginning to disappear from steam and the other digital storefronts yeah so hopefully this should just fix a very dumb problem of Mm. making games that exist available to buy because it was really yeah it was a mess and and if you want to read about it there are other things about how again the the fantastic developers out there essentially got screwed by the heads of the company and they are not involved in this rebrand it's completely new people and hopefully they will begin to bring in some of the the talented artists uh, both that were involved at the old telltale and also maybe new ones who are like yeah i want to make stuff like that Mm. um so fingers crossed is essentially uh where i land um on that other good news Fresh off the presses from what today and today's Wednesday the fourth. It came out today, right? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Um, so another slam dunk, if you will, for video games being used in class comes from what may be surprising to some of our listeners who um, have not been following some of this news in, in its previous iteration. But Assassin's Creed has actually carved out for themselves. <laughs> A very, very fantastic niche uh, for educational uh, use in the classroom. So for those who don't know, Assassin's Creed, despite being, you know, a a relatively, you know, hack and slash type of game, also sells itself on extreme historical accuracy, like down to the clothes that the characters on the streets and the background are wearing and the architecture and, and all mm. kinds of different things. Like it is, they spend millions of dollars They hire historians and experts, you know, language experts to get all of it right. And so for many of those iterations, it wasn't, it was just like, yeah, it's part of us telling the story. And you had all these teachers being like, yeah, but we're also using it in class because you've got these super accurate representations of, you know, eras of history that I teach about, you know, the French Revolution and, um, you know, medieval, um, what was the first one? Medieval Jerusalem and Mm. all these kind of things. And, And it wasn't until the last game previous to the most recent one, Odyssey, which takes place in ancient Greece, the one before which was called... Tibius, do you remember? Uh, I was about to ask you the same. <laughs> no, um, 
not Odyssey. That's this one. It is. Um, okay, now I'm gonna cheat. I'm gonna look it Origins? up. Origins. <laughs> Origins. Yes, Assassin's Creed Origins, which took place in ancient Egypt. Um, I forget mm. what particular era. I think it was around the Cleopatra era. Mm. which I forget what that's called. Historian nerds are now yelling at me, and I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but so in Assassin's Creed Origin, they added what they call a discovery tour. And mm. a discovery tour, as Tobias and I know, and many of and many people know, is essentially like a museum mode. It turns mm. off all the combat, turns off uh, all of like the stress, and opens up the world the virtual world that they have recreated with historical detail and not only lets you wander around so you could kind of just use it as a way to look at things but it also adds like a professional voiceover Mm. a professional tour pointing out different things and allow you to see things like uh the pyramids and them being built or um you know maintained uh agriculture architecture history art you know all these things that are happening it gives mm. you these cool guided voiceovers yeah and it, yeah go ahead there were, uh, yeah there was uh, like in the previous uh, or some of the many of the earlier assassin's cave assassin's creed games it had much of the same content but it was not separate separate from the main game so you had these like small articles and other things explaining like the Notre Dame when you discover that or other like famous and uh, historical landmarks and people and events and so on but they were buried in like this codex uh, that you only discovered as you progress through the game and then as those of you who have played this you know Assassin's Creed game can take quite a few hours to uh, complete which which made it very difficult to use in a classroom setting because the teacher basically had to um, play the game like all the way through in order to unlock all the stuff, so it's it, they used to have the same, some of the same content, but this is just making it available and of better quality from the get go, which I think is really clever. Yeah, and it's it's very cool. And and, and Ubisoft, and we'll link some other stories because I don't I don't have them in front of me right now. But Ubisoft has essentially said not only through actually releasing things like this and developing and spending the time and money on it, but also they have said that they are going to continue. Like they seem to have really similar to your your government over in norway they have said like yeah we're taking this seriously and we 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 think it's it's like a win-win that you know we're making it and it and teachers are using it and it's drawing students in both in the classroom and on their own so we're gonna you know we are gonna do our part to Mm. use these tools and use this method uh to get uh you know, students and, and everyone else uh, excited and also more engaged in ancient mm. history. It's it's great. Yeah, and and this also uh, is is a is a way to like counter some of the crit- criticisms I've heard about Assassin's Creeds when it comes to like history because uh, there was a, like a, not that close relation between theme and mechanics. Like what you did in Assassin's Creed was basically uh, mostly going around stabbing people for. Yeah, and and that's what does that have to do? And you can, it's a fair point. What does that really have to do with teaching history? Because you can you can complete the game without engaging too much with the theme and with the historical historical part aspects of the game. Um, this is, uh, I think, just stripping much of that somewhat irrelevant stuff out of the taking that out of the equation, so to speak. 
Yeah, there, there. It was always like those moments where I, I mean, I'm an English teacher, so I never uh, direct to use it myself. But you, you would hear stories of like, you know, a history teacher trying to like show off Notre Dame, and like, you know, you're you're clambering around on the rooftop, and like, you know, the guards are like shooting, mu- you know, musket fire at you and yes. this kind of stuff. So there, there were kind of these humorous, you know barriers and distractions that would get in the way and you might have yeah. to like kill yeah, a couple to... guards to be like okay <laughs> yeah. hold on let me kill these guards so yeah, i can get yeah. back to talking about notre dame so this yeah. obviously makes that it not a problem the... anymore no it, it was the game like fighting uh you using it to teach like get out of my way i'm trying to make use of you in my history class no i'm sending guards after you yeah so, so yeah, there, were, they... there were there were cool memes too of like you know did you remember like of the person like holding up half a photograph of like the virtual Notre Dame and, and the, you know, mm. now, now, you know, uh, uh, under construction and, and refurbished like real Notre Dame. He was like going around Paris showing how accurate it was like perfect. Just like, it just showed like if you've never seen any Assassin's Creed or anything like that, you know, Google it right now mm. and go look at just some of the YouTube videos. Like it is a, a virtual, um, you know, time mm. machine is essentially yes. like it is a virtual time machine it is so amazingly perfect for history class or social studies or whatever use it's awesome i talked to my one of my colleagues who's, who's a very like, very experienced uh, history teacher she said that like when it comes to like more contemporary history or even like most of the 19th and no, no, 20th century and century you have photos you have even like short film clips and and other like footage from like the world wars and so on you don't have anything like that from like that kind of visual aid for much of uh, like the older history like medieval age and so, yeah so, and, you, and you have like history channel stuff but sometimes those can be of very shall we say inconsistent quality and in how yes. <laughs> how engaging they are to a cynical <laughs> and, a cynical jaded you know 21st century student and I, and I even showed her. I, I I actually showed her um, Novigrad from The Witcher Three, which Ooh, obvi- yeah, yeah. yeah, and which which obviously is like it's not set in world real world history, but but the, like the design of the, the this this city Novigrad is. I just showed it to her and said, ah, oh, I could actually use this to just tell the students this is what a medieval city might have looked like. Yeah, because it, it is very much based on loosely, you know, you know, Central European type yeah. of. Uh, um, country it's it's very cool and it, it doesn't and, and and if it's not historically completely historical historically correct correct it doesn't matter because you can use that to your advantage you can ask the students okay what does this lack what 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 stops it from being completely authentic and accurate yeah it's like there's there's that uh famous story that that nasa uh uses the movie armageddon as like a <laughs> test to show like it's you know budding engineers like find all of the scientific mistakes in this movie mm. and there's like you know 256 and it's like the <laughs> the more you find the more it's like a, a show of like yes okay you you know what you're talking about because there's a million different things that are wrong with with this movie yes. um but real quick let's run down some of the, just the stats um, that that might be helpful. So it's even, if you are familiar with Origins, they're are, they're promising that it's going to be even better. So more of the same plus even more. There's about 30 tours, which which are those kind of like guided moments with like the voiceovers and the specific things about topics. Um, you know, so for the ancient Greece one, they'll probably have one on like the the, the temples and the you know Acropolis and all the different things like that. Um, 
hundreds of more smaller educational points of interest. So even if there's not a, a guided voiceover, you, you will still have these, you know, things that you can use to, to, to discuss in the class, um, historical yeah. figures and fictional figures. Uh, will be the tour guides, if you will. And yes, teachers, there will be quizzes <laughs> built in. So come on, they're making this easy for you. Um, yeah, yeah, because I thought the thing that was a criticism of the like first iteration of the discovery tool that like the tours weren't uh, not always. They could have been more engaging in a way. I yeah, think the, introducing were... these historical figure and fictional figures is a way to do that. I would describe them as they felt very like Discovery Channel, like not yeah. in a bad way, but like it was like yes, I could see this as like a ninety-second clip from like a Discovery Channel documentary, um, mm. like in in like the tone and the way like of what they talked about, like not not in a bad way, like I actually mean that in a complimentary way. Mm. Um, but yeah, they, but they they it, what they did kind of they could have done more, so it sounds like they they know that. I think this makes it more coherent with the main game in a way. Oh really? Oh, but like introducing like it's there's more cohesive between the discovery tour and the, like the main game. Which yeah, because also has like these the, figures. Yeah, they're using some of the characters. So, which actually yeah. for for students who have played it, that that might be like an additional hook. Mm. Um, they can run around. You can explore. Um, and so and brass tacks. Here you go. It will be added for free on existing copies. So, if you already own this game or are already planning to own this game. It's a free add-on on September 10th. So it is right around the corner. So right in time for you to gear up for your ancient Greek unit coming up if you're a history teacher. Uh, and also, this is pretty cool. So for teachers who are like, okay, I don't want to play the game. I have no interest. I might not even have a console that could play it on PC. So if you have, I would not say a high-powered PC. If you have like a middle-of-the-road PC um, available to you in some way, uh, mm. It is a $20 standalone thing you can purchase, So, um, it, which is great because that's a downgrade from probably the, I don't know, it's probably available for 40 or 50 now, mm. um, you know, if you want to yeah, buy the whole game. So at, at a discount, if all you want is this mode, you can just get that mode by itself mm. for 20 bucks on Windows yeah. PC, which is cool. I just a short tip before we before we move on to to teachers interesting in this, but but uh, thinking it might be difficult. I, oh, that don't type like enough high end PCs to actually play the game. Um, games like this are very flexible and and I can probably lend themselves to whatever use you think you have of them. So you, just one copy of the game on uh, like a TV or a projector in the class would be more like you can go a really long way with this. Just use it as a visual aid or have some students play and have them discuss and. Yeah. Yeah. Also, and I will tell you right now, if you turn to your classroom and say, hey, does anyone have a copy of Assassin's Creed Odyssey on their Xbox or PlayStation? You will see a, a few hands go up. If you say, hey, can you bring in your Xbox next week so we can actually play it in class? Jaws will drop. Yes. They will bring it in and they will set it up for you. Maybe talk to your <laughs> tech guy just to see if there's any hoops you might have to jump through. But mm. they, you will have your students absolutely on top of it. And it's a great way to involve them and say, hey, if you can yes. bring it in and get it set up and running in the classroom, we will use this. And it's, it's a very cool thing. Yeah. And if you have – let's let's say you get enough – like you manage to gather like – three, four or five or six even consoles or, or PCs, you can just arrange your students into groups and have them play the game and discuss and make some assignments or whatever. It don't have to be a one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. 
I had, you know, I won't, I, maybe I'll write up a blog post on this, um, on either you know, my blog or maybe I'll put it on the, the good game pod, uh, website. Um, I, I can write up a few ideas. I had one idea that was burgeoning before I switched over to a new school. I had, I had some really cool ideas of what I could do. So, um, you may, may see that. And I also will be working with, um, a history teacher at my school. So you may, if I can get, uh, working with her right away, we may kind of like document our process. So, um, you know, kind of follow, follow the good game pod on Twitter or in the Facebook group. Cause I'll probably, um, if I get that going, I'll probably post a lot of it there. So it mm. could be cool to kind of see like a, a work in progress of a teacher using it. If you need some inspiration or if you want to kind of see someone else jump first. Cool. That'd be useful. Yeah. So, all right. Enough talking. We are uh, going to now um, hear from Greg Tapo. So Greg, real quick, is um, kind of one of the uh, – if, if I meet a teacher or a parent or someone and they're like, look, I know nothing about games in class. I'm curious, but I want to know more. His book, The Game Believes in You, is usually what I say, hey, go read this because he does a great job of kind of laying out the base – kind of uh you know argument and the research and all this kind of stuff and a very kind of you know layman's terms kind of way it's it's a very you know you know easy read Mm. from from that perspective it's not like a dense academic tome which would be like you know um you know the the g book uh, um i can't remember his name james what's his name james uh james paul g james paul g thank you i Mm. want to call him like John Paul Bonham. That's the legend. <laughs> uh, James Paul G. Yeah, like it, like that is is like that's kind of a foundational text, but it's a very academic text. So mm. uh, Greg Topo, though, the game believes in you, which um, you know will be linked in the show notes, and you could Google, is a great first read. So he is awesome. He mm. has actually gone full time into consulting about this stuff. He had a you know um, a, a career that was at USA Today and the Associated Press all over the place, uh, but he has really kind of jumped into this. Uh, on his own so that that's how much he believes in it so uh coming up next is um, a conversation i had a few weeks ago with uh greg um about ooh, thunder hmm. uh, sorry, oh sorry I, I did not mean that to be that dramatic <laughs> but you know what thank you uh, we'll keep we'll keep that i won't yeah. edit that no, out don't we'll edit keep that, that. You keep keep that in uh you know too too uh, you know it is that dramatic yeah you know uh greg Coming up now uh, to talk about uh, his work and his um, uh, the seven F's of gaming, as he calls it, uh, seven different things that he uh, says are unique to games and what they can do. So here is Greg Tapo talking about the seven F's of gaming, among other things. Today's guest is Greg Tapo. He is a teacher, journalist, speaker, and writer. From New Mexico to Washington, D.C., he covered education and education policy, including a variety of huge stories about no child left behind. However, since the publication of his 2015 book, The Game Believes in You, How Digital Play Can Make Our Kids Smarter, he is, more importantly, a game-based learning expert. Through that work, he has studied the benefits of games in and out of formal learning environments all over the country. In fact, he has recently launched Paragraph Factory LLC, a writing, editing, and consulting company that is ready to share the unique cognitive and social benefits of games. Greg, welcome to the Good Game Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah, definitely been excited for a while to get you on as, as one of our guests uh, for our first season, because I think you'll be able to give a, a good overview of kind of everything that's going on in the games from 
you know, 30,000 feet uh, in the classroom because you, you've done a lot of research and writing about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I'm excited about it. Uh, so let's start with um, kind of you. So your career seems to have always had education as its center of gravity. But how did you find yourself going from covering ultra traditional stuff like No Child Left Behind to very not traditional teachers like Peggy Sheehy? Well, thanks. I think that's a good way to kind of uh, talk about the yin and the yang. <laughs> um, you know, basically, I couldn't wait to stop covering stuff like No Child Left Behind. Um, you know, so many of us in, in the education journalism field spent years, you know, writing about it, thinking about it, interviewing people about it. And I guess I got I got to a point where I just didn't feel like it was a very interesting story anymore. We kept sort of perseverating around a couple of topics that were sort of kind of tangentially related to learning, but not really talking about learning at all. So when I kind of stumbled upon and literally like stumbled upon people like Peggy and um, people doing this work, I was just thrilled because it really, I saw in it immediately a chance to talk about learning um, because these were the first people I'd met in a long time who as a group were excited about about better ways to uh, to make learning come alive. Um, so in a way it was kind of just the opposite of what I'd been doing, which was very sort of technocratic, you know, writing and reporting about sort of school systems. And I was just very happy to get away from that. So whether it was empirical or maybe just in your own personal experience, what made you think that when you saw people like Peggy and these other teachers doing, mm -hmm. you know, pretty unorthodox stuff like using video games in class, which, you know, especially 10, 15 years ago, most parents would be like, that's the opposite of school. Mm -hmm. What made what made you look at the status quo and be like, yo, no, this is definitely a good direction. You know, I, I mean, I guess I didn't know if it was a good direction as much as I saw real potential in it sort of from my sort of teacher's brain. Um, it, it just, it felt like something that should work. Um, and it felt like certainly something that people were getting excited about. Um, I mean, one of the things that I loved about it was, and Peggy sort of in a way embodies this as much as anybody, um, it had a kind of subversive quality to it. Um, and a very, um, it, it was a sort of revolution that sort of could take place in a very quiet way. You know, I, I used to joke that like one teacher with an iPad and a really good math game, you know, could pass that game around through the course of a day and really make a difference. And I actually saw that happening in some classrooms that I visited that, a, you know, like a teacher would, um, you know, the school couldn't afford, you know, one-on-one one -on -one, um, Chromebooks or iPads or whatever. So she just had this one device. And what she would do is just basically say, okay, you know, everybody spend 15 minutes with this game. And, you know, by the end of the day, you know, everybody will have um, had an experience with it. And I thought, hmm, I've never seen that before. Um, I mean, at least in that form, that's really powerful. Um, so I, I loved, I loved sort of the, the, the creativity that teachers were bringing to it. And I certainly loved that they saw that there was, you know, that this could make a really big difference in their classrooms. So over 
the last like 10 years or so as, as you've been an observer of, of education both you know in the more traditional spaces and in places uh you know like uh, the tribe with game-based learning and other teachers experimenting what do you have you seen as the biggest change um uh, kind of big picture and where do you think games fit into that it's a really good question i mean i think the biggest change is that a lot of people are asking um like, what's this all about? They're sort of stepping back and really asking, like, what is my kid actually learning and why does it matter? And I think, in a way, sort of games fit perfectly with that. Um, and, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to sort of separate, like, the sort of the big picture, um, you know, kind of the political uh, things that are happening from things in the classroom. I mean, in a way, I think the political stuff is not really that interesting anymore. Um, I do think, though, that a lot of families are, in a way, kind of wondering why their kids can't learn the same way they learn at home. That is, so many people have devices now in the, in the home, and so many of those devices have games on them. And I think everybody's gotten a taste of this, um, and they wonder why, not so much why they can't have the same game in the classroom, but why their kid can't get it so excited about, you know, subject A in the classroom, whereas when they come home, they're just totally gone on it. Um, and I think that's a, you know, again, it's in a kind of a subversive change, right? Um, and that was what I was seeing just with among students too, that they were having these experiences um, on their own, you know, with their devices that in a way kind of like changed their expectations of life. You know, the sort of the negative way to look at it is, okay, they're never bored. They're always entertained by something. But it, the positive way to look at it is that Sort of their brains are activated in a way that they had they hadn't been before, and, I, and so I think in a way, sort of games have upped the ante for school. And school, I think, if it wants to stay relevant, needs to kind of start running a little faster, or maybe thinking about the way it works a little differently. Yeah, there's a, a few things that you said there that. Um... Sorry, I said quite a bit. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no. There's a lot. Change there. change the topic a few times. No, yeah, no, for so. Certainly for me, you know, at least in my mm -hmm. experience over, I've been probably doing game-based learning stuff for the past, you know, seven, eight years. I have found that parents are usually one of the more receptive audiences mm -hmm. where they're like, oh yeah, of course you can't teach my kid the same way that I, I was taught 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they, they tend to, to be much more open and I find it's usually, you know, teachers uh, and administration who... Mm -hmm. Even if they recognize the value, you know, they usually, you know, find ways to put up roadblocks. And that's actually something we'll get to later. But, um, I, you know, it's interesting because one, one of the things I say, it went, probably the most cynical thing I say is that school is a system designed by people who did well in school. Mm -hmm. um, so, they, so to your point, like change is not in their DNA. You know, they want it yep. to be the same as it was when they were there and kind of liked it. Um, but I think parents have, you know, parents as a group are much more diverse, Yep. right? They see the, not only do they see the struggles their kids are going through, but they also see the different possibilities. One of the things that was really a revelation to me when I started reporting the book was um, I met um, uh, one of the guys who had designed, um, and it actually started out as a board game, um, Oregon Trail. And, you know, so, he, and he was, um, his name was Don Rawich. And he was actually a uh, social studies teacher, young, I think he might have even been a student teacher in Minneapolis in the 70s, uh, early 70s. And he and his roommates 
um, translated this board game into onto the computer um, just as sort of like a summer project. Um, and but the, the interesting thing to me was that he brought it to his classroom that fall um, and he was teaching in a middle school. So it was 1971, I think December 1971. And you, you think about that group of kids, right? So they, you know, they had this experience with this, you know, piece of um, piece of media. Um, you know, they are old enough to be grandparents. Um, that you know, so this I guess so many people have had experiences with this stuff. I think it's bound to maybe not even perceptibly, it's bound to change the way you look at uh, the possibilities. So I just thought that was. You know, we, we we tend to think of like games and learning has been past 10 years and actually, no, it's been past like 40, 45 years. So, yeah. And in many ways, you know, if, if you uh, take it away from the digital context, you know, if you go back and read John Dewey, like he basically is saying the same exact mantras that you would hear, uh, you know, at any game based learning classroom or conference, just with, mm -hmm. you know, slightly different words and nouns. Um, yeah. No, you know, right. play, playing games was a big part of it, and so it's one of those kind of, you know, everything is cyclical. Uh, in, yeah. many, in many ways, we're sort of rediscovering what he really meant um, mm -hmm. you know, in, in a lot of ways. And, yeah, and, I think that's right. And I'd actually, I mean, just, just, to, just to, so I don't forget to mention this, like, that was one of the things that I really um, got excited about, sort of thinking about sort of what's the next step in my um, my work and the evolution of what I'm doing, speaking and writing about, because it is getting in a way kind of back to the the basic principles. Um, and, and we can talk about that certainly. Um, but I just wanted to kind of, kind of in a way, kind of uh, put a little bookmark in that because I think that's a really important. Yeah. So um, in the game believes in you. Uh, and this goes back to something you said before about um, like the environment that kids are in. And I think it was, it was, it was a big thing is you describe realizing how abundantly multimedia today's kids are. It's books, movies, TV, social media, and video games. It's all of, all of the above, you know? Um, and, and you can see this anywhere. There's, there's almost no, you know, product or experience out there that is just one medium so it's it's definitely you know the, the new normal um yeah. and you say video games typified this abundance better than almost anything else soon everywhere i looked i saw that games were becoming a kind of cultural force that couldn't be ignored they presented a way for young people to spend time together to challenge each other to blow off steam to learn new things and in the end figure out where they stood socially so that rings remarkably true to me as a high school teacher, because uh, if you find a group of young people, particularly boys, I, I teach an all boys school, so it's my experience. But chances are, if they are brand new acquaintances or close friends, they're discussing Fortnite. It's, it seems, you know, like sharing your epic ideas, like the new, like social overture instead of like a phone number or Facebook friending. So how does this coming from like the social baseline of, of students, how does that affect the classroom? I think it's a really interesting question. So um, it, it's to me, it, it gets at such an important part of this, um, which is that in, in a way, like the social deck gets reshuffled. Um, you know what I mean? Like, like, 
you know, when, when we were kids, uh, at least when I was a kid, I'm probably a little older than you, you know, there were other markers for social significance, right? Um, it was how well you did in school. It was how much money your parents had. It was the kind of car your family drove, you know, those sorts of things, right? What kind of, what your clothes looked like. And I'm not saying those things don't matter anymore, but, um, you know, now it's different. Like now you can have a kind of, you can have social capital for things like how well you play a game or, you know, in the case of um, when I talked, just getting back to Peggy's, one of the things Peggy found was that um, the kids who were the most helpful to one another in uh, in the games they were played were the kids who became sort of the leaders in the classroom, which is kind of breathtaking in a way. Um, think about think about what that would have looked like, you know, when you were a kid, um, where the most helpful person in the class was the one who was sort of the most important. <laughs> like, that's mind blowing. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely shows that you know it, it pushes for collaboration and and, yeah. and things like that. And it pushes it just it just basically I th I think it kind of leverages different kinds of behaviors and qualities in kids that we just you know I think as teachers they've been teachers have been trying to make helpfulness you know a virtue for decades centuries and you know Fortnite you know or games like it you know, can, in a couple of years, they can just sort of re-engineer things. Um, I think that's really powerful. Yeah, and I think a, a big part of it, too, goes goes to interactivity, um, you know, because everything that students are doing today is interactive. There's almost no, certainly no social space that they're in that is, you know, as isolated you know, as it used to be. I mean, even back in my day, you know, I was you know, a '90s kid, so AOL mm -hmm. Instant Messenger was like the first like big digital social space, and even that was was pretty much like you know one on one. You know, you know, chat rooms were a thing, but I don't really ever remember that mm -hmm. being mm -hmm. like a, a big deal. So, but now it's like there's there's no place where you're not constantly affecting the space that you're in, and that space reacting to you, and and I think that's. That's something that they that they expect for uh, for sure, and so you know that that's one one space that I see games is so good is because that's what games are they're interactive they're a space space to be interactive, um, and you know if you you we put them in an isolated space that's not reactive, I, I don't think we should be surprised if if engagement is is a difficult thing to get. That's a really good. Idea. I think that's right. I mean, one of the things I always say is that my you know my kids are in their early twenties and and. Um, you know, they grew up with sort of the, the, the first inklings of Facebook, um, you know, young kids getting on Facebook. And I, and I think as a result, their generation um, sort of implicitly understands that what they have to say is important <laughs> and people should listen. And that's, a, that's not a quality that my generation really had. Um, and I think, I mean, certainly they're, a lot of people who would say that, that that has negative consequences, but I think I think it's mostly positive. Yeah, I mean, the idea that that I mean, I can remember teachers all the time, you know, admonishing you know my generation about how like, we like didn't care about anything and how like we <laughs> weren't like interactive, like right, you know, right, and and then now you know, especially Gen Z, like they're as as you know 
politically and, and uh, you know in other spaces like they're 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 always uh acting and reacting yeah. um so it's it, to me it seems kind of like you know be careful what you wish for but uh-huh um in a, in a good way um yeah yeah so uh let's move to some of uh your your work that you're doing now so you have a sure. great a great youtube video called the seven f's uh, of gaming that'll be that'll be linked in the show notes oh thanks um and and the seven f's of gaming the first one you talk about is failure yeah and, and you and you say number one failure the opportunity to try something hard fail and then try again right away to make it work better so if i had to pick one advantage that games have over traditional learning systems i think it's that mm-hmm. um, in fact i think that games do this better than anything else and the brainstem of of traditional education grades disincentivizes that completely which is kind of crazy when you think about it um so so why is this so important why is it so important that that games allow you to try hard fail and then get better i mean i would hope it's obvious to people why that's important but i mean i i think the the really um kind of the best most sort of economical way to understand this is that like in every other thing we do in life that's how it works that you fail and you try again until you get it right um you know i i was actually just uh, doing a, a teacher uh uh in service at a school here in virginia and um john meehan who's really interesting um mm-hmm. yep uh educator just has a great new book out um uh called adrenaline rush ed adrenaline rush um you know, one of the things he says, and I love this, he says, you know, what do you call a lawyer who fails the bar five times and then passes it? You call them a licensed lawyer, mm-hmm. right? You, I mean, in, and and that's that's a profession that we hold great, um, you know, stock in, right? That mm-hmm. we, we really rely on, on lawyers to like get it right. Yet we let them fail the bar as much as many times as they need to. Um, you know, your driver's test, you can fail the driver's test three times. And then the fourth time you pass and you're a licensed driver, mm-hmm. right? Um, almost everything else in, in, in life, um, even like things with very high um, stakes, we see that as just sort of a natural uh, system. Yet in school, we've got this idea that, you know, when you fail, it becomes part of your record. Um, and I think that's like a really backwards way of thinking about it. It's um, completely backwards. I mean, I love the idea that, you know, uh, some teachers who are thinking about this kind of thing, you know, they, they've kind of reworked their classroom system and they basically tell students sometimes under their breath, you know, welcome to my class. This is the first day of school. Um, you all have an F <laughs> and um, it's your job during this quarter or semester or whatever it is um, to go from your an F to an A. So basically you work towards getting the A and you all start at the same, um, you know, same level and you all work up to the same thing. Now, obviously you work, you work on it in different ways, but it changes the um, people's understanding of what it means to try and fail and try again, that you're always trying to level up. Um, and I think obviously that's how games work. And I think it's just a lesson we can take from them. Yeah. I mean, if, if you, 
I mean, look at Fortnite. I mean, that that's a game of failure. I mean, the the chances of you walking away, you know, with with a, uh, a victory royale are you know statistically you know quite minimal. Right. Um, <laughs> but it's you, you do it over and over and over and over again. Um, and, and one thing that, that I think that that shows is that when you give something a context that they care about, the 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 you know the quote unquote you know grit and determination suddenly appears um you know but when you take that away and, and to me it seems that grades and, and school go, goes out of its way to vacuum out as much context as they can um, which is which is just completely bananas um, yeah. because there's nothing that's going to make you tune out than just saying oh this is completely abstract it has no stakes um it's just good for you because i say so yeah i you know one of the things i mean just kind of getting back to the sort of the idea of how games work, you know, Jesper Yule, who's this really important game theorist, he says, um, I don't like failing in games, but I don't like not failing even more. <laughs> <laughs> and the idea is that like for something to be a game, to be challenging, it, you want it to push back against you. And if we could somehow, you know, kind of get that way of thinking about the world into the classroom, I think that would be just, incredibly powerful yeah and one thing and this isn't even necessarily game related but i found that um you know going to like uh pass fail moments where mm -hmm. you know you set a very high bar and then you just say you know you can try to submit this paper or presentation or whatever you're doing as many times as you want and um but until you get it done and it's it's good it's not going to be accepted um and in times that i've experimented with that students have responded really well and i because i think it gets to that that kind of mechanism um, or you can keep just trying it over and over and over again and, mm -hmm. and learn from those mistakes. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, in a way, competitive events based education, which is kind of, you know, on the ascent is um, looks at that, you know, from a different lens. And I think, I think that's one of the reasons why people like it so much or people are attracted to it. Yeah. So, in, uh, so you got six other F's of gaming. So, um, I mean, we don't have time to talk about all of them, but if you, if you had to pick one, what's, what's the <laughs> next biggest one in your opinion or the biggest one to you? Um, and, and how can teachers embrace it with games? That's a really good question. Um, if I had to pick one of them, I, I guess, um, I guess the most important one after failure, and I think I'm, I'm glad you picked failure because I think that is probably the key um, sort of baseline one, mm -hmm. just to, to change our orientation to failure. And I, I guess the, the other one that I'd pick, um, if I only had to pick two, is um, fairness. Hmm. And um, the, the reason is that my thinking on this is that um, the, what I say in my talk is that um, games are systems, right? And we understand their systems. But school is a system, too. So the question is when the system breaks down, like when, when the system fails, when a student um, doesn't succeed in the system, what happens, right? And what we tend to do in education, and I, I, by the way, I've, 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 I've kind of proposed this many, many times as I've been talking to teachers groups and nobody's ever told me, no, that's not the way it happens. What we tend to do um, when students fail is we our first sort of move, if you will, is to pathologize the student. 
And we, so we say things like, um, you know, they didn't get enough sleep last night. That's why they failed that test. Or they're eating too much junk food. Or their parents are fighting. Or they watch too much TV. Or they stay up too late playing video games. Or maybe they have like an undiagnosed learning difference. Um, we, we, these are the things, like these are the likely stories, right? And what I'd say in my talk is like, you just described every gamer who ever lived, right? Like every kid who's ever picked up a video game controller, they eat too much junk food, they don't get enough sleep, their parents are fighting, and on and on and on. They they come to that endeavor with the same, uh, you know, disabilities, if you will, um, the same problems. Yet nobody expects them to fail in that system. Just the opposite. If I'm a game designer, I expect you to not only succeed but enjoy doing it. So basically what I what I say is, you know, you should come away from this uh thinking like, okay, students are users of my system. If I'm a teacher, I've created a system, the student is the user. How can I make the system work so that this kid doesn't fail but this kid succeeds? And I think that's just a it's a small shift in thinking, but I think it's a really important one. Um, and w one that when I first sort of stumbled upon it, uh, was just kind of blown away. Um, because, you know, a game designer, if, if, if a game doesn't succeed, uh, or if people aren't doing well in the game, they're not going to say, Oh my God, you know, all the, all the users are, you know, too tired to play my game, mm. right? They they don't say they don't blame the user, right? They say, yeah. "Huh, how can I fix this?" And I think that's incredibly powerful. Yeah, I think that's that's a really that's a huge perspective shift that um, yeah. that I definitely encourage. Which is, you know, you should look. Teachers need to look at themselves as designers, yeah, uh, you absolutely. know, of a learning experience. Um, and and one of the reasons I'm so passionate about games is is that's a, very easy to transfer into that space because a game is a learning experience. And then if you jump into it with your own curricular goals, they're they're going to meld uh, very well in ways that will most importantly, you know, resonate with your students. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because mm -hmm. that, that's that's where they are. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so if there's anything that that first kind of co cognitive shift for a teacher who's interested in getting in the space is, you know, look at yourself as a designer and, and you yeah. know, what can you get out of that experience from the student perspective? And I would actually, I mean, I guess the thing that I would say is kind of take it one step further and ask your students, like, if you were to design this, how would you design it? <laughs> because they come to this just having kind of deeply, deeply understood these systems. Um, even if they're young, I mean, they, they get it, you know, a kid who plays Fortnite for a couple of months, they get how the system is, is built. They may not be able to articulate it, but in a way like that might be a really, uh, valuable lesson for them, uh, in school, just to have their teacher say, okay, describe the system to me, tell me how it works and tell me how we can apply it to what we do here. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think one of my favorite conversations last year, I was teaching the Odyssey mm. uh, with with my ninth graders. And we had this fantastic conversation about 
uh, early on in the Odyssey, for, for uh, people who might not uh, remember, uh, Odysseus's first mistake is he gets on a beach and they raid a village because uh, he's going pirate. Um, and they get a bunch of stuff and then they sit there and they party. Um, it's been a long time. And then <laughs> they party. And then Odysseus is like, all right, guys, we, you know, we got to go. And uh, the men just want to sit and party more. And then he eventually is like, all right, whatever. And then the better warriors from inland show up the next morning and trash them. And they basically, you know, run away with their tails between their legs. And I compared this to my guys, what is this like? And every <laughs> kid in the room goes, it's like when you get third partied. I was like, yeah, this is what happens when you loot too long and you don't pay attention to what's going on around you. And it just it added this layer to the conversation about greed and, you know, awareness and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, again, it's it's just a natural fit because that's that's the context that they're in. That's really good. What a great application. That's really something. Um, so any uh, so other than reading your book, of course, and getting in touch with you about your seven uh, F's talk and other work having stepped into this world yourself and, and seen a lot of the different moving parts, what would you recommend as a good first step for curious teachers who might not have a gaming background? Because that's, that's usually the biggest barrier I encounter is um, I'm not a gamer, so I don't know how to do that, even though I recognize it as, as a, a very cool thing. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Cause, cause like that's actually the, the very um, challenge that I set to myself, which was, so I've always thought of myself as like a translator, um, <clears throat> you know, kind of helping like one half the world understand what the other half is doing. And in the case of like games and learning, you know, I was very much thinking, okay, so if I'm someone who has no idea how this stuff works, like, what do I need to know? And so that, I mean, in a way, that's one of the reasons why I found myself writing about people like Peggy, um, because what I found was that, um, more often than not, they were in that position that they didn't know much about games, but they wanted something better for their kids. They loved their kids. They saw the system didn't work very well. So this is what they turned to. It wasn't that they were dying to bring games into the classroom. It just was sort of the the best solution that they could come up with. Um, I mean, like, and what I say in the book is that I sort of stopped counting the number of times somebody would sort of like whisper at the beginning of the interview, like, like, I'm not really a big gamer. <laughs> so, you know, I don't really know much about this. Um, and, and they, it was fun. Cause like the first time I heard it, I was like, wow, that's really interesting. And then like the ninth time I heard it, I was like, okay, I think there's something here. Like <laughs> this is not a, a gamer's movement. This is a non gamers movement, if anything else. Um, so so the, I guess the first thing to answer your question is I would say is that if you don't know much about this world, you're not alone mm -hmm. and you're probably actually in the majority um, because so many people who start thinking about this, think about it from that perspective. Um, but I guess, I guess what I would say is, um, I mean, I would certainly like get your feet wet, play some games, think about them as a designer, like you say, think about how these things work. But I, then I would suggest um like stepping back a little and just saying okay like what is the what is the learning that's taking place here like how does the learning work and if you think about it like that was what jim g was saying like you know 15 years ago mm -hmm. when he wrote this when he wrote that really important book about um, games and literacy 
you know, he was, he was actually saying like, let's use games as a model for learning. Let's not bring games themselves into the classroom. In a way, sort of what happened was just the opposite, <laughs> mm -hmm. that, that people saw his really interesting ideas and said, oh, well, the way we get this is games. And it, it, it's kind of funny to him, I think. I, I've interviewed him a bunch of times. And one of the things he says is, wait a minute, that's not what I had in mind. <laughs> yeah, it's this. Um, it's more like the mechanisms. Right. It's um, like the, it's like the afford, think about the affordances and make that happen. Don't don't bring the actual game. But I think I mean, I think he's obviously like a lot of other people has come to the point of, OK, you know, these are actually really good tools. So um, so if you use them, that's fine. But just just kind of always be thinking about, um, you know, what they're doing. Um, and I think one of the one of the frustrations that I've had since the book came out is that I didn't feel like the, the conversation has shifted enough. I think I, I I talked to so many people who basically are still saying like, okay, just use this game and a thousand flowers will bloom, <laughs> um, and that's fine it, if it helps you do your job better and you know with more. Um, with more of a mind to how the class can become sort of more rigorous and enjoyable and, um, and work better. That's great, but don't let it be the be all and end all, um, which is one of the reasons why I came up with this seven F's idea, which is let's just kind of like, you know, if you will sort of distill the essences, um, you know, let's, let's, um, I don't know. I don't, I'm not going to use an alcoholic metaphor, but, but just the idea of like, what are the things that you get? in games and how can those translate into the classroom even if you like a you know like a third of the population wants nothing to do with games mm -hmm. <laughs> um and that's that's been a real it's been a really fun um intellectual challenge for me and it's also been um i think uh, uh, it's also been a really um interesting sort of next step in my evolution um and i'm really excited about it because i think i think it is the next thing we have to talk about um, if we want to talk to more than just a few people, if we want to be able to translate this to a much larger group. Um, because if, if you're just talking about how great games are, you're always going <clears> to, <throat> you're not going to be necessarily preaching to the choir, but you're, I think you're always going to be talking to a group that sort of never by definition gets much bigger. Um, but I think if you can talk more broadly about these ideas through the lens of games, then I think you can talk to pretty much everybody because because all teachers are just trying to figure out better ways to make school work. Yeah, so, I think exactly. I mean, so, for me, it's it's you know when I look at games, it's because I'm like, all right, he, this game requires you to navigate an experience and use skills that I want you to have as a student, right? Um, it's not necessarily because, you know, I love that game and I want them right. to love it too. It's just like, this is a great experience and it's the same skills that, that I'm always trying to, uh, to use anyway. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And, and yeah, there's, there, there's, you know, it's not, it's not a panacea. There's no, there, I, I wouldn't go around to other English teachers and say like, you have to read this book. Like, you know, this book will make it change your English class. I would be like, you know, this is a great book and it's got these themes and it's, you know, sparked these conversations. Um, so, yeah, it, I think focusing on the mechanisms that make games engaging 
um, is, is definitely a great, a great way to, to, to kind of approach the conversation. Thanks. And I actually just, just for the record, <clears throat> when I started thinking about this, um, I, I did not plan to have them all begin with the letter F, <laughs> but that sort of happened. It was very weird the way it, um, I remember I, I was driving in my car and like these words just started coming to me. And after a while, I'm like, oh my God, they all begin with the letter F. What is going on here? Um, so that was not the intention. Yeah. So uh, if people want to find out what the other Fs are, where can they find um, you if they want to learn more about about uh, what, what you're up to and, and what you ha have available? Well, um, I appreciate it. Um, <clears throat> probably the easiest way to find me is just on Twitter. Um, I'm at, at Gtopo, G-T-O-P-P-O. Um, I'm also, um, uh, my, the book has a, a website, uh, and it's just gamebelieves.com. So just two words together, gamebelieves.com. Um, and you can, you can find me there. You can reach me there. Um, if they want to just email me directly, they're more than welcome. It's just, um, my name with a letter with the number one attached to it. So it's gregtopo1 at gmail.com. Uh, you, um, just, you just you weren't the first Greg Topo. I, I I think I was, but um, uh, I decided I I didn't want everybody and their cousin to be able to reach me that easily. <laughs> um, because because when you're a journalist, um, you not every unsolicited um message is welcomed, <laughs> especially in this uh, in this political uh, environment. Oh yeah, it definitely gets more interactive. Um, yeah, yeah talking about I, interactive. Yeah, yes. and the uh, and the seven Fs uh, video uh, link in the show notes is on YouTube. Um, yeah, and it's there's a, a YouTube it's a, video. Yeah, it's a, it's it's only a couple minutes. A great watch. Really, um, really helps kind of kind of get the ball rolling. I intentionally um, made it under two minutes, um, so you you can you can digest it very easily. Oh yeah, I think I think even research has shown that it's like. Uh, seven minutes is when like attention span tends to like completely, you know, roll off the table. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, yeah. For, certainly for me, I, I tend to, if I, if I make something for my students, I tend to make it, you know, definitely under, you know, yeah. five or six minutes for sure. Mostly just cause I just want to give people a taste of what is, of, of what I'm thinking about. Um, so, and, and, and if people are interested, I mean, one of the things I'm doing this fall and actually through the whole school year is I'm actually, um, you know, going to schools and talking to, you know, educators, parents, um, administrators, school groups, um, just uh, about these, about the seven Fs and just trying to kind of start a broader conversation. So I'm actually, um, I'm available to talk at, you know, all kinds of uh, convenings, trainings, uh, conferences, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a great resource if you have, um, you know, maybe an administration or a faculty yeah. that is maybe a bit hesitant and, and wants to maybe get some more, um, a, a little bit of a, of a shove. Uh, seems like you, you'd yeah. be a, a great resource for that. And just start a conversation. I mean, I'm very non-threatening <laughs> <laughs> and my talk is actually a lot of fun. Um, I, I try to kind of, um, I, I try to kind of make my point not through any kind of confrontation, but through sort of humor and just kind of getting people to, to turn to the person next to them and, you know, kind of play a few games and talk and have a conversation. Um, you know, what I, what I say is like, I like, I like these things to be like a Sunday brunch without the bottomless bloody Marys. So. 
Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. So, uh, well, thank you for being on, Greg. We're, uh, we're out of time today, but um, this has been a great conversation, and I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping that a lot of people uh, be able to find your work and then use it to kind of maybe jump in or to dig a little deeper into, you know, games and learning. And I think um, done a great job diagnosing kind of like what some of those underlying mechanisms are. So that that's that's great work. Thank you, and thanks for your work too. This is really wonderful, and thanks for having me. Yep, no problem. So that was Greg Topo. Again, you can find him at at gtopo on Twitter, at thegamebelieves.com, where you can find uh, his book, Game Believes in You, which is a great kind of starter book if you are interested in learning more about the research and other things, as well as his new company, Paragraph Factory LLC. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. So be sure to subscribe so you can get every new episode. Also, if you are interested in sponsoring, we could be reading your words right here. Tobias, am I wrong? Are we ready to sell out? Oh, yes. Good. So again, (laughs) uh, and by all means, just contact us if you're interested in sponsoring the podcast. And as always, have fun and good luck with the upcoming school year. 